Welcome to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to be a community of believers proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, discipleship, and service. Our prayer is that you are transformed by the word of God in the following message. And we trust you are using this podcast as a supplement to your participation in a gospel church near you. Let's now hear what God has for us. Good morning. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Acts. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 5. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the first book, that's the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Hold your place there and go forward to the end of the book of Acts chapter 28, verses 23 and following. The Apostle Paul now, he's in prison, awaiting trial. When they, that's the authorities, had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he had said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord's the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Today I'd like to talk to you and give you give us an overview of the book of Acts, chapters one through twenty-eight, and speak to you on the Lord's mission. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. Timeless, true, reliable, sufficient, everything that you are, it is. We thank you for what it tells us. We pray that we would listen. Lord, we pray that we would not merely listen to a human speaking, but to hear the very words of God that the very Holy Spirit who pervades this particular book of the Bible 
would be here in our midst. I pray that he would enlighten every mind today. I pray that we would know him walking up and down the aisles, through the rows, to show us your power and your son, the Lord Jesus. Help me to be clear. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, technically, on our, in our English Bibles. But I, it's the second part of Luke. So Luke has written two, two books, Luke and Acts. He has written them to and under the sponsorship of a guy named Theophilus, who is probably a new convert or somebody who is... Uh, trying to help the gospel go forward, and he is funding Lucas, Luke, we know lots of Lucases, he's funding Luke to write. And Luke has given his life to this calling of, of writing and traveling and making sure he is dotting his I's, crossing his T's when it comes to the story of Jesus and his church. One of the things that I think we need to contemplate as we go into this book, as 21st century people, is this question. Does Jesus Christ still work in the same way to build his kingdom? So we're going to see some pretty amazing things here. And we have to ask ourselves, is it happening again? Does God still work like this? Hopefully we will get some answers. Now, the Gospel of Luke is about how Christ rescues the sinner and to what lengths of he would go to save them. Acts, volume two, is about how Christ reigns through a world of rescued sinners. Luke traces the Lord Jesus Christ going from Galilee to Jerusalem, essentially. Whereas Acts has the Lord's apostles taking the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. And in one sentence, I think Acts can be boiled down to, Jesus expands his kingdom by his church's witness on earth. Now, Acts tells the story of Jesus in multiple ways. Whether, no matter how you slice it and dice it, you, you, could, you could kind of slice the book of Acts geographically. Uh, we'll look at it in a, in a, in a second here in, in chapter 1, verse 8. And we see the progress of the gospel starting at home and burgeoning out. Or you could look at the book of Acts biographically, looking at it from the perspective of the major apostles, Peter, who is the major subject in chapters 1 through 12, and also Paul, who dominates the story in chapters 13 to 28. So there are multiple ways we could do it, but I'm going to really try to unfold it today by showing you three timeless characteristics of Christ's witnesses in every age and every place. In other words, I just don't want to preach um, stuffy biblical history or world history. This is inspired history, but assuming that you can read the book of Acts for yourself, I want you to be able to see how it applies to you right away, right now, today. So those three timeless characteristics of witnesses in every age and every place is this, simply. Witnesses testify, witnesses multiply, 
And witnesses fortify. Okay? Witnesses testify. They testify of the Lord and to the Lord. Witnesses testify because they are commissioned and empowered to do so. The commission, in the book of Acts at least, entails a person. Now let's look down at verse 6 of chapter 1. And when they had come together, they, that's the disciples, the apostles, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here, when the apostles have been with Jesus for about 40 days, they ask him, Now, Lord? Now is it time? Are you going to give the kingdom back to Israel? Can we be free of Rome once and for all? Jesus says, mm, not going to tell you. Not, it's not for you to know. But what I can tell you is that you are going to receive power, and a power unlike any power that you have known before. And he says, you will be my witnesses, my Witnesses. These disciples would be witnesses of the Lord, belonging to the Lord, and testifying to the Lord. Whatever he says, you tell, you say, you speak. But the fact of the matter is, is the message is about the one who is commissioning them. It is about Jesus. You've heard that famous verse in Acts 4.12. You don't need to turn there yet. It says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the witnesses are to testify to the name. They were witnesses of the name of Jesus. Because there is no other name in outer space, in the heavens, on earth, below the earth that has salvation linked to it. You can't be saved through any other name, any other means. So this is the witnesses testifying to the Lord. There's a place later on in the book in chapter 18 where the apostle Paul says this. Luke says this about Paul, very simply. He says, Paul was occupied with the word, the Bible, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. That's what, testi- that's what witnesses do. They are occupied with the word. They're, they're not looking for answers to the world's problems that they can sort of add to the Jesus answer. They're not trying to embellish the gospel. They are going to the word. They are occupied with the word. They're devoted to the word, as earlier parts of Acts say. 
testifying to the Jews, Jews, that Messiah, who they've been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for, was Jesus. This guy with a name, a real name. He was from a town called Nazareth. That guy, as the apostles would preach throughout the book of Acts, who you killed and who God raised from the dead, he's Messiah. That's what witnesses occupy their time and the content of their message on. But specifically, our witness must include the death and resurrection of Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. This is in the middle of Peter, the apostle, the first sermon he is preaching. He's quoted some scripture from the Old Testament because that's the only Bible they really they have at this point. And then he says in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, which read the book of Acts, as you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is the essence of the gospel message. Whether it's preached publicly by an apostle or it's testified privately, by just a regular Christian, a regular follower of Jesus. Anytime we witness to Jesus, we can't just name, we, we should name drop Jesus, but we shouldn't just talk about God in the vague, okay? Because there's lots of small G-O-Ds out there. You have to get to the name, And that name, by its very meaning, means salvation, which begs from what? From sin. So sin is what took Jesus to the cross. But sin is imputed, is the result of, it's because of us and Jews and Romans. So the the common question is, so who killed Jesus? Did the Jews kill Jesus? Yes. Did the Romans execute Jesus? Yes. Did God, the Father, kill Jesus? Well, that's what verse 23 says, by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is part of the plan. And as we see throughout the book of Acts in the whole New Testament, even the Old Testament scriptures, did we kill Jesus? Even though I wasn't there, can I be culpable of such an execution? Yes. Yeah. And so when witnesses testify to the name, they must include the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the content of your witness. Witnesses are also empowered by the Holy Spirit. From the beginning to the end of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit plays a prominent role. Jesus disappears by design. It's not that God the Father missed his son I just wanted him back up in heaven with him by design. Jesus only got 33-ish years here on earth, and he told his disciples, I'm going, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send somebody else like me, a comforter, 
and he will be with you. He will be your friend. We've sung about the Holy Spirit today. And it is this Holy Spirit that led the apostles to choose the 12th, uh, to, 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 to fill the vacancy of the 12th apostle due to Judas's leaving. It was this Holy Spirit who in chapter 2 came down on this day of Pentecost and filled all those Christians in that room with the Holy Spirit, so much so that the power and the glory of this Holy Spirit did what? Put them on their knees and make them do a prayer meeting? No, it thrust them out of the upper room into the streets. It propelled them to testify. They couldn't help but testify because of the Holy Spirit. And as you see throughout the book of Acts, nothing Nothing happens without the Holy Spirit's presence and power. He is the one energizing witnesses to testify. So witnesses testify of the Lord to the Lord. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But witnesses testify with boldness. Just hear this in in Acts 4. It says, when they, the disciples, had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness is a hallmark, is a characteristic of witnesses. Witnesses witness. Testifiers testify. Witnesses testify boldly. This does not mean that you do so with a chip on your shoulder or or in pride. This speaks of of a kind of matter-of-factness, as if it's true and as if it's urgent. Because the angel said to the disciples, you saw him go up in the cloud, he's coming back in the same way. Time's ticking. The Holy Spirit comes. And you see throughout the book of Acts, in one spot where, they, where it is said of the apostles, these apostles, these followers of Jesus are turning the world upside down. You don't turn the world upside down being timid, being silent. You speak and you do so with boldness. And Paul and his companions all throughout the rest of the book from chapters 13 to 28 You don't see the word boldness actually appear as much. But what we do is you see it as Paul is living out and preaching before crowds and being stoned and being chased out and not just normal people and and women and and children and, and nighttime gatherings, but he has audiences with kings and governors and statesmen. And he does so with boldness. Witnesses testify despite opposition or suffering. Flip over to chapter 6. I'm trying to go forward as much as possible. We may flip back once or twice, but I'm trying to move us forward to the end. Chapter 6, verse 8. Church is growing. They installed deacons. One of the deacons, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And uh, this came to the attention of the authorities, so much so that in verse 10, they could not stand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they stirred up the people, verse 12, and the elders and the scribes 
And they seized him and brought him before the council. So they were trying to arrest this guy for, for preaching. So was he helping meet widows' needs? Yes. But he also loved this gospel. I mean, he was occupied with it. And he couldn't help but speak it. But it brought opposition. And as he's being apprehended, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you have the whole of chapter 7 is, is this Stephen, the deacon, going rogue evangelist onto the Pharisees and the religious people and preaching through the Old Testament. He doesn't even make it through Old Testament history. And he basically pins the death of Jesus onto the, the leaders of the day. He says, you guys did this. What do they do? They gnashed their teeth. They ripped their clothes. They were angry because they knew it was true. They stoned Jesus. Flip over to chapter 8. Stephen is falling to his knees, being stoned, crying with a loud voice in the spirit of his Lord. And when he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, then he dies. And Saul approved of his execution. Enter Saul, the rabbi, the zealous Pharisee. Saul was the one. The one, the guy who would take up the rest of this book from chapter 13 on, essentially. Before he became a servant of Jesus, he was so zealous, he would put people to death, throw them in jail, run them out of their houses. And he was okay with this. And ver- keep reading there in chapter 8. And there, arose, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So far, the gospel has stayed, for the most part, parked geographically in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judah and Samaria, except the apostles. Notice they were scattered. Now look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Friends. Let me just, these people who are preaching are not ordained ministers. They are, they're you, okay? They aren't, they're not dumb. If you got a, if you got a bullet, a gun to your head saying, renounce Jesus, we're going to throw you in jail. You know what these people did? They ran. They scattered. It was okay to preserve their life in a sense, but in the way of like, hey, I don't have time to pack up my belongings, but I'm just going to flee and I'm going to go where God leads me. And when they were going, where do, they, where do you push out? Once you leave Judea, the next place you go to is a place called Samaria. And that's what Acts 1.8 said. You'll be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria. And that's where the gospel blows out to next. Normal, everyday Christians occupied with the word of God, testifying They're the ones witnessing in their scattered state. So despite oppositions, witnesses testified. This isn't just a phenomenon of the first century in the Middle East. Ever since then, this has been happening in the Christian church all around the world. Today, tomorrow, yesterday, as we speak and enjoy the comforts of security. Christians in Nigeria, India, Laos, 
They're getting run out of their homes. And their pastors are being targeted. This, this is happening right, right now. Despite opposition or despite whatever suffering because of the gospel, witnesses still testify. And when witnesses testify, even when life isn't going so well, you may be, you may be more inclined to witness and testify to Jesus because things are going well for you. But what if they're not? What, what if life is just dealing you a lemon after a lemon? R.C. Morgan was the editor of a Christian magazine in Victorian England. And he was a man who was very familiar with sadness and tragedy in that two of his children died in infancy. And to, and to make matters worse, his oldest son drowned while swimming in a local river. And as he made his way to the scene where his son had drowned, they're dredging up the river, trying to pull his body out, and they pull the body of his son out and lay it on the shore. A crowd is gathered already to witness this. R.C. Morgan arrives, and brokenhearted, he speaks through his tears to the crowd, identifying him, said, this is my son. But I also want you to know my son was a Christian. And I also want you to know that my son won't stay like this. My son will rise again. And he used this opportunity of a tragedy, personal tragedy, right there on a river to preach the gospel. This was a magazine editor. 20 years later, R.C. Morgan is in a shop where he was speaking to the shopkeeper about the Lord, inquiring about his salvation. Curiously, the shopkeeper said that he was a believer and that he had converted. And see, as they, as they talked, the shopkeeper explained that he converted on the very day Morgan's boy had drowned, and he had listened to some man at the death of this child at the river preach the gospel, and he became a Christian then. Witnesses testify. Brothers and sisters, don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in you to testify. It may be 20 years. It may be 30 years. You may go to your grave and never know the impact of your witness, but you can, and you ought to. Now, is it merely enough to get on the witness stand as if you were under oath, right? You know, a one-and-done thing. I'll testify to Jesus, like, you know, being called into court or something. No, because witnesses, what, what, what witnesses for Jesus to, witnesses repeat their testimonies over and over and over again to whoever would hear. And in that way, this naturally leads to the next characteristic that builds on the first, and that witnesses multiply. And just as witnesses testify to the Lord, being occupied with the word, witnesses multiply with the word. So from Peter's public sermon in Acts 2, to Stephen, to Philip, to Paul, Barnabas, etc., Acts, the book of Acts, centers the story of Jesus Christ in his church's life on the proclamation of God's word. Don't believe me? Just hear these. In fact, if you're marking your Bible, 
You go to chapter 6, verse 7. You install deacons. What happens? So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God spreads. Then in Samaria, chapter 8, verse 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word. The apostles are in Jerusalem. They didn't scatter with the rest of them. Someone had to keep the church doors open, if you will. But they were hearing reports that Samaritans were converting because of the word. Oh, yes. Chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Chapter 19, verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You say, oh, well, that's like the first century, right? That was special, like the special dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Like that can never happen again. And I'm here to tell you that the purpose of my sermon here today in preaching to you is to say that, no, it, it, it is happening. It has been happening since with the word. And witnesses also multiply because of opposition. When you turn up the heat on spirit-empowered Christians, on-fire Christians, you know what happens? The word spreads like wildfire. And you have that in chapter 5, verses 27 to 42. And in other places in the book of Acts, in an attempt to, to silence and muffle the gospel, and stone the messenger, if you will, the gospel goes, is propelled. It goes out more. That is the power of the gospel. You can't contain God's word. You can't suppress it. In fact, you persecute and you oppose, and it's likely, and you kill Christians, it's likely more churches are going to pop up. More disciples are going to be made. That's what the book of Acts says. Witnesses multiply with the word because of opposition, but they multiply in ethnicity. So again, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jerusalem. So it's going to be a very Jewish church at the beginning. Then it was going to be Samaritans, uh, our our enemy outsiders, those filthy Samaritans. Um, And then to the ends of the world. Think of Philip in chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. You can turn there because we're going to try to move forward in the book. Philip has gone from preaching and seeing people get saved. And then the Bible says, God just moved him and says, I've got a mission for you. And he goes from a crowd to one sole Ethiopian official who came to Jerusalem, who came to the promised land to worship. This Ethiopian official is sitting in his chariot reading the scroll of Isaiah. We read Isaiah earlier today. He's reading Isaiah, and Philip comes alongside him and says, Hey, man, you understand what you're reading? He's like, Man, uh, help me out here, would you? And they get talking. And at the end of the conversation, being so occupied with the word, Philip must have told him, Now, if you're believing this, You need to be a follower of Jesus, and the way you show that is by being baptized and joining a church. Well, I don't know if the Ethiopian had a church back home, but he says, hey, we're near some water. Park the chariot, get out, and they had a baptism ceremony right there. 
Ethiopian, non-Jew. Then turn over to chapter 10. We have the incident of Peter and Cornelius. This kind of bizarre dream and vision where Peter is called to go proclaim the gospel to a Gentile. And after a little bit of going back and forth, Peter's like, okay, I'll go. And he goes to Cornelius' house in Capernaum, which is, had more Gentiles in it. And he has a house full of people, like an audience right there in the house. And Peter's like, I'm going to just obey God. I'm going I'm to preach. And what happens? Look at verses 44 to 47, chapter 10. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing people who have received the Spirit just as we have? And the rhetorical answer is, no, you can't withhold water from these. Baptize them. They've heard the word of Jesus and they believe. So, the, so witnesses multiply in ethnicity. They, want, they also multiply chapter 13 by sending. And here we have where the Apostle Paul kind of takes the center stage as like the protagonist, the main actor in the book of Acts. He's already been converted. He's been discipled. He's launching out. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Hear God's word. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, that's the church, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, oh, friends, you know what? The churches weren't really big that then. Maybe the Jerusalem church, Antioch, this, is, this church is being planted from the Antioch church, this, this mission. And this is where you get the, 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 the travels of Paul's starting. He had like three missionary journeys and this is, starts the first. And you would think that the way to grow a church is to add more people, add more and more people, and that's how we grow. And what we're getting from the book of Acts is this description, this model that you actually grow by fracturing, by sending people away. And that's what they did. They sent their best, Paul and Barnabas. And by the time you reach the end of Acts, you get the sense that the church is less and less geographic-centric, because you know it's Jerusalem, and it's more ethnocentric. It's less about places and more about faces. It goes from Jerusalem as an epicenter to Rome. And the history of the Christian church since Acts 28 has been one, friends, which the never-changing gospel is rooted in and advanced from ever-changing places like Rome, Alexandria, Carthage, Constantinople, Geneva, Wittenberg, London, Edinburgh, the Netherlands. 
France, New England, Charleston, Savannah, Chicago. The Tejillo de Janeiro, Lagos, Dar es Salaam, Lusaka, Nairobi, New Delhi, Moscow, Ukraine, China's interior, to the island nations, Jakarta, Sydney, and the list goes on. The gospel goes. Can you claim that there's one center of the gospel geographically right now? No. Because what is happening in Acts is the exact opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel when they were told to spread out and diversify. And they said, oh, no, that's too scary. We're going to just stay here. We're going to do our own thing. And with the filling of the Holy Spirit, you have the reversal of Babel and the dispersion and the scattering of believers so that the word of God would run and be glorified in all places of the earth. You get to the book, the end of the book of Acts, you do not have the accomplishing of the Great Commission. All right? Does, does the gospel make it to the ends of the earth? Well, it made it to Rome. We know that much. And we know by some of the, one of the letters that Paul wanted to really get to Spain, which for then, for the people then, that was like the end of the world. All right? But he didn't get to. So Paul had a plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You say, oh, that's nice, good history. See, Acts shows us that every Christian, get this, every Christian, is either actively going, energetically sending, or conscientiously disobeying the Lord's great commission. If you're a Christian, you have, you're one of these three. You're either going, we're talking about to, towards the ends of the earth, leaving mother and father, the comforts of home, etc., to go somewhere to take the gospel where Christ is not named. Or you are conscientiously, energetically, enthusiastically giving your time, your prayers, your money so that other people can go. And that's how missionaries get work done. They are sent. Or you just... Don't even think about it. You just say, well, I hope the church's budget covers the missionaries and, you know, we're doing our task that way without much concern with what's going on across our city, our state, our country, and our world. Beloved, I would encourage you to have some goals in witnessing Witnesses multiply. I, I wish I wrote it down, but I have a little note on my phone that, that tells me of this list of names that began with somebody who knows when, like 20 names and ended with Billy Graham. And the point is to show kind of the lineage of multiplication of people who led to the conversion of Billy Graham, who led thousands of people to Christ. But you say, oh, I'm, not no, I'm not a Billy Graham. I won't do that. I can't do that. But can you reach one person? How many people can fit in your arm span comfortably? Two or three people, maybe? Why don't you just start with that? That maybe you pray in the next 
two to three years that God would use you to lead somebody to Jesus, be it a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, that you are conscientiously deciding to multiply yourself. And guess what happens? If that person gets saved and baptized, joins the church, and they take that challenge, now you've split yourself into two and four. And this is how the gospel multiplies. Maybe as a church, we ought to even be more considerate of how we together get involved in the growth of the gospel. I know a lot of churches that pride themselves in global work, but have a hard time reaching their Jerusalem. And then I know some who are really good at reaching their Jerusalem, their New York City, their Chicago, their hood, and you know they throw some chum change overseas. But as Addison Street Community Church, I don't think we have a choice between one or the other. If we are going to be ascending church to the nations, to the islands, then we need to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel here. We need people to stay here and actively evangelize here. And give, as the hymn says, O Zion Haste, give of your wealth to make the message glorious. Give of your means to speed them on their way. Pour out your hearts for them in prayer victorious. And all that you spend, Jesus will repay. Publish glad tidings. Tidings of great joy. So, you want to know if Acts is for you? You want to know if Acts can be replicated? Yes, witnesses, witness, witnesses multiply. Then you have to ask this question. If growth is happening, is all growth good growth? See, Acts describes a story of how churches flourish by the word of God. In fact, this book may be more descriptive than it is prescriptive, but it actually sufficiently tells us how Jesus expands his kingdom by his church's witness on earth. And I think we have an answer. Not all growth is good growth, which means to build on testify and multiply, we must fortify, meaning that we must seek strength and health as churches. It is not enough to just get heads and count heads and baptisms this is actually happening across Christian denominations where they are trying to, to, they're trying to do as much as they can to evangelize so much, which is great. But what ends up happening is you have thousands and thousands of thousands of converts that aren't discipled and strengthened. You have stories of, of, of evangelists starting hundreds of churches in the period of 10 years. And you ask yourself, are those real converts? Are churches being established? Is it enough just to see somebody saved? No, because what's happening is when the gospel gets planted in a locale, in a region, in a person, what happens is churches start. And churches need to be maintained and fortified and strengthened. For instance, look at, uh, well, you don't have to look there. Uh, chapter 9, verse 31 says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So don't hear from the preacher today, ah, Will, he's just, he's against growth. He's against numbers. I am not. 
the Bible is for, and so far as the Bible is for numbers and growth, I am. Chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Oh, how about that? They, they were strengthened, they matured, and they expanded in numbers. It's possible to grow in spiritual maturity and depth and strength and grow numerically. See, witnesses fortified. Here's just a, a couple, a few examples. They, they are fortified in unity and generosity. Chapter 2, it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. Get that they were together. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many had need. Then do flip back to chapter 4, verse 32. Chapter 4, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart, there's your unity, and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Get this, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay. You say, oh, that's just early church. You know, we... We don't, we don't do that. That's like proto-socialism or Marxism. Like, yeah, that's, that's what the religious like, Marxists latch on to, right? No, 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 that's an abuse of Scripture. What I see here is that when the Holy Spirit plants the gospel in a people, they don't consider their stuff theirs anymore. And so if there is a needy person in the church, there's a race in the church to meet that need. So churches are strengthened as churches unify and are generous. So, brothers and sisters, when we get up here Sunday after Sunday and talk about giving, we talk about the ways that you could give. We should, I should tell, we should talk to you about what giving doesn't do for the church, but what it does for you. When you increase in generosity, there's something that happens to you spiritually as you let go of your stuff. Church increases and strengthens in hope. As the book of Acts moves on, you hear the word hope a little bit more often. And the apostle Paul would say things like this. He'd say, I'm on trial because of the hope of the resurrection from the dead. Or I'm in chains because of the hope of Israel. The apostle Paul was a big time hope dealer in his generation. The gospel was the gospel of hope for all nations. And churches that are, get stronger, they get stronger in hope. And you know what our Chicago needs right now? Our Chicago does not need cynical Christians who are downing everything that's happening in the world and in our city. Everyone can do that. What our world needs, what our Chicago needs, are people who are high on hope who actually believe that if the gospel is preached, people will be saved. I believe that. I, I will go to my grave 
believing that. If I die today, I I mean, I hope I don't, but I, I will believe that. Do you believe in the hope of the gospel? Do you believe that we all believe we're going to die? Do you really believe that there is a resurrection coming? We grow in hope. Witnesses fortify with prayer. Chapter 12, you see the church praying for Peter. He's in jail because of the gospel. And a miracle happens. And God answers their prayer. And now let's go to chapter 16 real quick. Chapter 16, you have the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy, I believe. They're moving along. Chapter 16, verse 13. Paul has this call to go to Macedonia. Verse 13. So this is what Paul typically did. No churches, remember. And on the Sabbath day, he went outside the gate to the riverside, where there was supposed to be a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women there. So they're like, oh, well, we don't know where church is, synagogue, so uh, we hear there's this prayer spot. We're going to go there. That's what they did. Look at verse 16. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl, and then they cast the demon out of her. And because of that, the economy was shaken, and Paul and Silas get thrown in jail. And then look what happens in verse 25. They're in jail. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And then suddenly there was a great earthquake. This is what we call jailhouse rock. You rock the house with prayer. You want to grow a church? You want to strengthen a church? Become a praying church. Church strengthening or church fortification comes as we continually center on God's word and the person and work of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we can't just assume the gospel. Oh yeah, that's what we believe. We believe it works. But does it seep into the culture of this church? Is it Is it grabbing you? Are you occupied with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you hope for that day when he comes again? You can't just assume and assume that everyone else around you is assuming. Because an assuming culture in a church is actually just going to lead to assuming the gospel away from this church, which is what a lot of churches are doing. In our hopeless city and cynical age, My burden for ASCC is that we would become a praying church and a generous church. And well, what would it be like if not only our Wednesday night prayer meetings were well attended, but what would it be like if people just started having prayer groups in their homes throughout the week? What would happen in our parish neighborhood if we got together and prayed more and binged less? Netflix? What if we fasted? What if we actually sold something in our house that we know is very precious to us? Okay, children not not included. (laughs) Something that's very valuable to you. What if you said, do I really need this? And you you sold that and you just gave the money to somebody at church or stuck it in the offering for missions? Can you imagine a church like that? What would happen if a church prayed 
and was generous. I'd love to see that happen here. And I believe it can't happen here. And you know what? My cards are on the table. I'm praying that that happens here. That we become a really, really big on prayer. And that we are known for giving our stuff away. As the book of Acts in the second volume in the, is the history of the church, we see Jesus reigning from heaven through us as witnesses. And I want to ask the question a different way that I started the sermon with, is do you have reason to believe that God is writing the next chapters of his story using you to see more people get saved? Do you think that's happening? Maybe you've been listening here patiently and you're not from church. You're not, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're just a seasonal Christian. And I want to ask you, I want to challenge you, that before you can ever be a witness for Jesus, you have to believe and you have to take Jesus. You have to bow the knee to him. You have to want him more than you want your sin. You may not be guaranteed tomorrow to respond to Jesus. That's why I urge you today, to turn in faith to Christ now. We can talk to you after the service, but even now you can pray. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that the same Holy Spirit that ignited the early church to go, that that same Holy Spirit who indwells every true believer here would take us over, would so fill us that we become radically dependent in prayer, that we open our mouths, that we give generously as you have given to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by God's word. And for more info for joining us for a worship service, for taking your next steps with us, please visit ASCCChicago.org.